Today marks World AIDS Day, observed internationally to remember those lost to the HIV-AIDS epidemic and raise awareness about the disease. In one of Ohio's most populous counties, health professionals are working to ensure people living with HIV have the services they need. Cuyahoga County's Ryan White HIV-AIDS Part A program has provided health services to those who don't have adequate insurance or financial resources since 1996. Zach LaVar with the Ryan White program says one silver lining of the pandemic is it's allowed providers to reach more people through telemedicine. Clients that might not have wanted care in person might have found it a little bit more convenient to FaceTime with their doctor and check in with them that way. Our clients have definitely appreciated it. We've heard anecdotally that different clients that may have been out of care are now linked to care because they've been able to access via telehealth. 21% of Ohioans who have been diagnosed with HIV live in Cuyahoga County, according to state data. LaVar says in honor of World AIDS Day, the County Board of Health has launched its first newsletter dedicated to HIV-related news and resources. It also plans to launch a social media campaign to help fight the stigma associated with HIV-AIDS. Services the Ryan White program provides in the greater Cleveland area include help applying for housing and benefits, mental health resources, and group education for people recently diagnosed. LaVar says the Board of Health has received two grants focused on HIV care and prevention to help connect with at-risk residents. We've started working with the state to figure out who is not in care and trying to figure out ways to best reach those individuals, figure out what their barriers are, really meet them where they are and get them engaged in care so that they can achieve the best health outcomes for themselves. The two grants, totaling about $2 million, were awarded by the Health Resources and Services Administration and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I'm Emily Scott with Ohio News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. From the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, this is the news from rural America. It's true, rural America helps feed the world, but people go hungry there too. Many agencies that could help lack the tools needed to reach those populations. We know that if you're in Lexington, Kentucky, or if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, you have resources that you don't necessarily have out in rural areas. Matt Levine with the National Foundation to End Senior Hunger says in 2019, more than 5 million Americans aged 60 and over went without meals at some point. That's exacerbated with distance. When there's 20 miles between houses, it's much more difficult to tackle senior hunger. The pandemic worsened food insecurity, but Levine hopes lessons learned can reduce food insecure households in future public health emergencies. Funds from the trillion dollar infrastructure package will soon be flowing to states, but it takes money to make money, whether it's having enough grant writers or the funds needed for matching grant requirements. Stateline reporter Aliyah Wright says local officials are worried they'll miss out. They didn't know if they should actually go after the funds because of past experiences with trying to get federal money. The infrastructure bill could provide rural communities with cash to fix crumbling roads and bridges. Wright says officials want help from their state governments to make it so. Hey, we are a small community in your state. We need help to ensure that we are able to get some of the funds that will be coming to the state. Consistent polling shows 67% of Americans want abortion to remain safe and legal, so advocates are nervously watching what happens in courts across the country. 
in Montana's Supreme Court, they will rule on state legislation that prohibits abortions after 20 weeks and bans abortion medication via telehealth and mail prescriptions. If you think about Montana that has some rural counties with less than a thousand people in them. Martha Stahl runs Planned Parenthood of Montana that has sued to stop the laws from taking effect. The United States has one of the highest maternal mortality rates among developed countries, and death rates are highest in states with the lowest access to abortion. Kate Kagawa of the Susan Wicklin Fund serves those who need reproductive health care. She says further restrictions hit rural populations hardest, and the health issue has become politicized unnecessarily. Over half of our clients already have children. They come from all political parties. A new podcast is challenging national stereotypes, the urban versus rural divide. I'm reclaiming and reframing what rural is that the larger media can't really do. Megan Torgerson hosts Reframing Rural to help counteract depictions of those living in the countryside versus urban centers. That didn't resonate with how I grew up or the family or friends that I have in rural areas. For the Yonder Report and Public News Service, I'm Roz Brown. For more rural stories, visit dailyyonder.com. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. We're running on 50 years of row. It is an egregiously wrong decision. Mississippi Solicitor General Scott Stewart urged the U.S. Supreme Court to uphold the state's law banning abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy before viability. The case challenges the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that made abortions a constitutional right. Stewart argued Roe takes away the state's ability to protect a life, which Justice Sonia Sotomayor said was a religious view. When does the life of a woman and putting her at risk enter the calculus? Meanwhile, Justice Samuel Alito and other conservatives appear to lean toward limiting abortion rights. Can a decision be overruled simply because it was erroneously wrong? Thousands rallied outside the court during arguments. Here's New Mexico Democratic Congresswoman Teresa Ledger Fernandez. A woman, wherever she lives, whoever she is, she deserves the right to make her own decisions. Republican Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois gathered with pro-life activists. We're praying that this would be overturned. Nearly half of states are expected to ban abortions should Roe be thrown out. In election news, voting rights activist Stacey Abrams is running for Georgia governor in 2022. Republican Brian Kemp narrowly defeated Abrams in 2018. But Democrats believe recent demographic and political changes in the state could hand a victory to Abrams. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker won't seek re-election next year. The moderate Republican was seen as the GOP's best chance of keeping the office in the heavily Democratic state. And after three decades in Congress, Oregon Democrat Peter DeFazio won't seek re-election. DeFazio heads the House Transportation Committee. Congress has just two days remaining to avoid a government shutdown. However, Republicans are trying to block a short-term funding deal unless they get a vote on an amendment to stop the Biden administration from implementing its vaccine mandate for large employers. Why would anybody in this chamber vote to fund a government that is going to mandate that people have to lose their jobs through these unlawful orders? That's Texas Republican Chip Roy. Meanwhile, Democrats are urging the Senate parliamentarian to allow immigration protections to be allowed in the social spending bill. Reconciliation bills, which can pass a filibuster-proof majority, must primarily impact the federal budget. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi hosted a six-decades-old tradition, the annual lighting of the Capitol Christmas tree. As a proud Californian, it is especially exciting that this 84-foot tree, white fir, hails from California's Six Rivers National Forest. And on Pennsylvania Avenue, Vice President Kamala Harris reflected on the lessons of Hanukkah at the White House menorah lighting. The power of the people, the possibility of the future, that even in despair, there is hope. 
that even in darkness, there is light. It's the first Hanukkah celebrated at the White House with a Jewish spouse of a president or vice president, Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff. I'm Mary Sherman for Pacifica Network in Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy online at publicnewsservice.org. The Public News Service Daily Newscast for December the 2nd, 2021. I'm Mike Michiganders mourning the loss of four students after this week's school shooting at Oxford High School. Advocates say prevention measures to tackle the epidemic of gun violence are long overdue. The Oakland County Prosecutor announced on Wednesday that the accused gunman, a 15-year-old student, will be charged with first-degree murder and terrorism. In addition to the deaths of Tate Meir, Hannah St. Juliana, Madison Baldwin, and Justin Schilling, seven others were injured. The Reverend Dr. Sid Moan with Interfaith Action of Southwest Michigan notes that firearm deaths are the leading cause of death for adolescents. We cannot allow ourselves to be numbed to gun-based violence, and we need to respond with more than prayers and thoughts, but with actions. Moan adds that in Lansing, there have been numerous legislative proposals around stopping gun violence, from investing in education and prevention programs to incentivizing security measures to keep guns away from kids and teens. But they have been stalled because of a lack of bipartisan interest. I'm Lily Bolke reporting. This was the 29th school shooting in the U.S. this year. That's according to Education Week. Reuters reports a conservative Supreme Court justices Wednesday signaled a willingness to dramatically curtail abortion rights in America and perhaps overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling that legalized the procedure nationwide. Reuters notes the court, which has a 6-3 to conservative majority, heard about two hours of oral arguments in the southern state's bid to revive its ban on abortion starting at 15 weeks of pregnancy. Several regional groups rallied in Minneapolis Wednesday, demanding that state leaders take action to reflect the sacrifices made by frontline pandemic workers. This fall, the legislative working group failed to come to an agreement on distributing $250 million in frontline worker pay. Republicans insist on divvying up bigger checks to a limited number of workers, while Democrats have pushed for a wider range of recipients, even if the payments are smaller. Angie Helseth is a caseworker at the Lino Lakes Correctional Facility who worries about being left out despite her commitment during the crisis. We were used to take temperatures and vital signs. We made meals. Um, We actually received duty belts and um, training to cover officer posts when we were so short-staffed. I'm Mike Moen. Some Republican members of the working group say while they heard many of these stories, they feel the money should go to those who had direct contact with COVID, such as healthcare workers. This is PNS. In a 4-3 to three decision this week, the Wisconsin Supreme Court backed a lease-change approach to redistricting in the state. More now from Jonah Chester. The decision means the court will likely make minimal alterations when drawing Wisconsin's new legislative and congressional district maps. While the ruling is an important milestone in the redistricting process, Fair Elections Project Director Sachin Chetta says the battle over these maps is far from over. They still have to develop and implement a map from the state court perspective. So they still have to come up with a map, and that will still take a few weeks, even maybe a couple of months. 
Wisconsin's current district lines, which were drafted in 2011, have been criticized since then by anti-gerrymandering groups. The Princeton Gerrymandering Project, a nonpartisan watchdog initiative, has given the Republicans new proposals a failing grade for favoring GOP candidates. You may recall the 2020 census data came late this year. That means a compressed timeline for updating the district boundaries. President Biden's Build Back Better Act includes reforms for oil and gas production on public lands, and they were first introduced by the Reagan administration. Pagad Jalali with the Colorado Fiscal Institute sees the reforms as an opportunity to hold companies accountable for environmental costs and to fix a program that a recent Department of Interior report found to be outdated and broken. It benefits oil and gas companies and harms public lands and habitats and exacerbates climate change and puts huge financial burdens on communities and taxpayers. Taxpayers lost out on more than $12 billion in oil and gas revenues between 2010 and 2019, according to analysis by Taxpayers for Common Sense. Build Back Better would increase royalty rates that companies pay for extracting resources on public lands for the first time in more than 100 years, a move industry groups say would increase costs and limit production. I'm Eric Galatis. Finally, Emily Scott tells us after community pushback, Everett Community College has paused plans to close its early learning center. Parents and employees were notified last week through a letter from the college saying that a review of revenue and expenses shows the program is not financially sustainable. Prior to a Tuesday night Board of Trustees meeting, the college sent a letter to the community saying the board will work with state and local leaders to find permanent funding. Michelle Doran, whose three-year-old daughter attends the center, says the program has been a lifeline over the past few months as she's experienced homelessness. Basically has made it so I don't hit rock bottom. I've been able to maintain a full-time job and get quality child care. This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service, member and listener supported. We're heard on radio stations big and small. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.